This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello, and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and my irreplaceable co-host, Annie Reese is out this week. But we have for you today an interview that we did uh, around our New Orleans trip with one Dr. Howard Conyers. We didn't actually get to meet up with Howard while we were in New Orleans, but we caught up with him on the phone afterward. And, okay, Howard, his day job is rocket scientist. He is an engineer with NASA at the uh, John C. Stennis Space Center, he tests rocket engines. He's also a barbecue pit master, which is where, you know, the part where we interviewed him for a food show comes in. Um, he grew up in South Carolina with whole hog barbecue, which we've talked a little bit about on the show before back in our Asheville episodes. So, yeah, Howard bends his skills and talents in engineering to barbecue, to, to designing and educating with barbecue rigs. He once famously designed and implemented a whole cow barbecue, which is a feat. Uh, there's video. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, he's also the host of a PBS video show called Nourish, um, which in their own words is a show about food, what it says about who we are, where we're from, and the ties that connect us. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a video series where uh, there's two episodes a month, and uh, they they explore uh, just the, the people and the culture and the science behind food, which, um, yeah, is a thing that we here at Saver are perhaps obviously behind. So, yeah. So uh, uh, Howard is 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 based in New Orleans, and we we absolutely knew that we had to interview him uh, on our journey there. So uh, yeah, I'm going to let uh, past Lauren and Annie 
And Howard, take it away. So yeah, I, I like to I like to start these things off with a with a kind of uh, official. Hi, um, who are you? Hi, I'm Dr. Howard Conyers, um, a pit master who also is known as a rocket scientist. Like an actual rocket scientist, yes. <laughs> like a real rocket scientist that pays the bills. <laughs> Not one of those fake rocket scientists. No. <laughs> um, how did? Okay, m- many questions stemming off of that first thing. Um, how? Uh, how did you come to be a rocket scientist? Whew. I don't want to bore people because this is a food show. But uh, oh no, nine years, nine years of education, all the way from. Growing up in South Carolina in public schools, went to North Carolina A&T and studied bioenvironmental engineering. And then I went to Duke University and got a PhD in mechanical engineering. So that's how I became a rocket scientist before I started working with NASA. And um, and you started doing the pitmaster thing because fr- being from South Carolina, you uh, you grew up with some whole hog, whole hog barbecue, yeah? Yeah, that's growing up, that's what barbecue was, whole hog. I learned from my father. When I was a young ch- a young person, we didn't have a restaurant, but that's how I saw the whole hog barbecue tradition. Could you talk a little bit about about that tradition that you grew up with? Like like what was what was a barbecue like? A barbecue was like Fourth um, of July, Christmas, Thanksgiving. We would start. We would slaughter a hog. We invite our family. We have like a big family gathering. We had had a lot of aunts and uncles where I was from. I had nine aunts and uncles. And they had I had a lot of first cousins, so we have a big gathering, and that gathering we would have barbecue that was generally the the meat of choice, um, and that's where we will cook before that dinner. The next day we will start cooking barbecue that night, or we'll start to slaughter the day before. But it was kind of something embedded in the community. A lot of families cook barbecue before for their family gatherings. It wasn't just my family. And so we had barbecue restaurants, but a lot of us did it generally at home, use a, a technique that was passed down. Then we would do it at church for like homecoming celebrations or church anniversaries. Um, and so that's kind of how that tradition came part of my life very early. How, how did you get back into into doing whole hog once you moved out to Louisiana? When I first moved back to New Orleans, I, you know, you get homesick. <laughs> New Orleans is a great food city, and uh, when I moved here, they claimed they had, they said they had barbecue, and they said and a couple places have Carolina barbecue on their menu, but when I tasted it, it wasn't Carolina barbecue. They didn't do the little things. They didn't, well, they didn't do a lot of things to make <laughs> Carolina barbecue, and so <laughs> that like that kind of motivated me. So you know what, if I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna at least do something to. Um, show what what Carolina barbecue is I knew it was. And uh, so they had this barbecue fundraiser hall so it caused it it was a good cause to get behind where they were raising money for kids with pediatric brain cancer. They cook barbecue and I said, you know what, I, that would be something I would do to try to see if I share what I know about barbecue. Carolina barbecue. Yeah. We we, we talked to um one of our interview subjects, uh, whose name I'm forgetting completely right now, um, in a barbecue restaurant in New Orleans. Um, so is, is there kind of like a resurgence of barbecue over there? Is, is there, are people getting back into it? Um, I into think it for the first time, maybe I think people are getting into it and they're trying to adopt other styles of barbecue because of, uh, New Orleans has its own like grilling 
traditional, I don't necessarily say it was barbecue, but they call it barbecue. But um, I, I use barbecue very, mean whole animals, whole hog, but mm-hmm. they use barbecue to do like smoked sausage or ribs or pork steaks. But uh, the barbecue scene in New Orleans is going upon a resurgence because I believe uh, this thing called hogs for the cause. And also along with the national trend of like, I hate to say it, Texas barbecue. Mo- I'm going to say modern Texas barbecue, not old school Texas barbecue. I'm going to say modern Texas barbecue. Um, is uh, we're, we're kind of giggling over here in the background because there's there's so much uh, <laughs> so much um, inter barbecue community shade that happens. Um, and when you said Texas barbecue like that, we were like, ooh, is there <laughs> <laughs> is there literal beef involved? <laughs> uh, it's, it's no beef, but like East East Texas barbecue reminds you a lot of the South. They was cooking in pits, direct heat pits. Until the probably the seventies where they start this indirect smoking stuff they're they're known for these days. Oh, wow. It wasn't it wasn't really uh, I mean, Daniel Vaughn have wrote extensively on like how the pits look in Texas at one point. But now everybody knows associate barbecue with Aaron Franklin and the Mueller family and Tootsie, but it um Tootsie is the only one I think is still using the direct heat pits. But everybody else is using something that was started by the Mueller family. Oh, that's fascinating. We're gonna okay. That's a whole separate avenue of 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 question. But um, getting getting back to so um, how did you how did you get involved with a uh, nourish? <laughs> how did I get involved with nourish? What a great show! But um, they wanted to do a documentary on my story, and um, after I was in Denver, Colorado, for this event called Slow Food Nations two years ago, maybe maybe a year ago this time. No, a year, probably a year ago. A little over a year ago, and uh, the producer was there, and they wanted to do a documentary, and they did a documentary, and they asked me, "Would I, long story short, would you consider hosting a show?" And I say, "Sure, if I get to go interview the subjects and share some of my knowledge of what I thought Southern food and culture was all about." Yeah. And it was digital, so like for me, that was an exciting opportunity because it's a lot of. I saw digital as the way of the future with food shows. I mean, I mean, just media in general and it was an opportunity to kind of explore what that was all about uh we want people to go watch the show obviously but um but could you talk a little bit about um what what you've learned from your guests on 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 that show what i have learned from my guests on the show is just like how similar we are across the south but also like Southern food is much more than what we think about. It's a lot deeper. And I would say one of the things I learned is like the travel of food. When you start looking at like, when I had when I had the opportunity to talk to David Shields, Dr. David Shields from the Carolina Gold Foundation, works at the University of South Carolina, just understanding the journey of like, say something as simple as corn, like a guinea flint corn, starting in Cuba, then worked their way back to West Africa and then come back to the States or looking at the, um, looking at the rice, uh, the upland rice, seeing with the Americans, um, seeing it in the sea islands of South Carolina and then going to Trinidad after the war, 1812, understanding those kind of nuances, the travel of food is very fascinating. And then when you, when people start coming to new places, they still try to bring a part of them with them because that's a, if the, the, the food dish may look a little different, but the, the roots of it are, are a lot, are the same in many cases. Absolutely. 
we we heard we heard New Orleans be described as uh, as like like the South is north from there, like uh, as being the highest point in the Caribbean rather than the you know a, a point in the South. Um, I will say New Orleans is very much a different city from the rest of the South. Um, it's it's really a different city from the rest of the United States. It's an international city. I will say it's definitely the northernmost Caribbean city. It has a, a lot of people. They say that statement, but they also understand why it's the northernmost city in the United States. The others, the others start thinking about the Haitian Revolution and the, who owned the territories at a certain time before New Orleans became part of the United States. And when you understand that, you can understand why there's this, why people say it's that Caribbean connection, because there was a lot of countries like Haiti and the people from Haiti and the sugarcane. And who owned what at certain times with France having territories in the West Indies and with New Orleans, with Louisiana before the Louisiana Purchase and everything. So that's the reason this thing is a, a Caribbean, has that so much a Caribbean feel. Do you, do you feel like you're 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 a you're a solid part of the food community there now? Um, and and if if so, if if not, then but uh, but, but if, if if so, um, I guess what what's it like being part of that community? <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm a solid part in a way, but I'm, I'm I have a I have a unique perspective in the food community. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I have a solid part in the say, but I can't say the food community pays my bills. Right. But what I what I could say is the knowledge base I bring to the food community, and the conversations on looking at the African American food ways in New Orleans and the the contributions of West Africa on New Orleans or across the South has made me part of the food conversation. And I know sometimes people, those the African-American community as well as the indigenous communities are often overlooking Southern foods. And being a Southerner, I think I, I was raised in the South. I wasn't raised in the North. So I don't, I see it a little bit different because this is all I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it was like. To, I don't think of like for me. I don't hardly ever use the word soul food because I don't. <laughs> I never knew what that word was until I went to college. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, um. Has uh has has learning about food taught you more about science? It has. Um. Really, what I really like about the food thing is I. I think people don't realize how much science is in food, and with Nourish, I was hoping to be able to do some of that. Like. We were talking about grinding grits. Nobody would think there's a friction benefit is a <laughs> factor of friction in making sugarcane. I mean, making grits or heat dissipation or viscosity. We're thinking about barbecue sauces or thinking about thermodynamics with using a pit versus a Cajun microwave or La Cacacina or something. Like so there's a lot of science and technology involved in the cooking process. And I have learned that. When I was going to some of these restaurants and they started using the induction um, burners, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's really fascinating to me as a person of a science, because you need a certain type pot made from a certain material for that principle to work. So it's super fascinating. We do have more of our interview with Howard, but first we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And back to the interview. So you you grew up on a farm, yeah? Correct. And you, I've read that you directly credit growing up on a farm uh, with you becoming a rocket scientist and getting into STEM in the first place. Could you could you talk a little bit about that? I agree with that. I wouldn't be a rocket scientist without growing on a farm because I've seen the real applications of science and technology and engineering and mathematics on the farm. For instance, let me give you an example. We were trying to put up this barn. And as an engineer, you have you have like cables and you're trying to use cables to help pull something up and support things temporarily until you get it mounted securely. And we use a lot of engineering principles to help get that, um, I guess you would say that beam in place or the rafters and get the rafters in place. So seeing things like that early on or understanding about fertilizers you seeing like fertilizers they say oh what is a 10 10 10 i'm like what is that they get in a science classroom they talk about nitrogen or phosphorus and potassium 
but people on the farm might say it was called soda <laughs> or liquid <laughs> soda and or ammonia, but that's all it was. But it wasn't, they didn't use the word nitrogen until I get in school. And you look at what the, I think the molecule ammonia, ammonia is like NH4 or something like that, I believe. I'm going off memory. It might be NH3, so please don't shoot me. <laughs> but no you look at those compounds, you look at those chemical compounds and not really understanding what they mean, but you understand, uh, I put it on my crops, my field going to turn green. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> if you get enough water to go with it, they're going to turn really green and then you'll have a weed problem in the field. So, I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> you see all those nuances or applying like organic chicken manures to the field. Like what was the benefit of that versus a synthetic fertilizer? I mean, that's, I've seen so much science growing up. I, I say I'm very, for, I was very fortunate to have a really hands-on application to understanding the sciences. I mean, a lot of people in the city, especially living in like New Orleans, they don't get the opportunity to have those hands-on exercises. But that's all I, I had. That's all I had was hand-on exercises. Mm-hmm. I, the book was just a kind of reinforcement. Life the farm was a lab. <laughs> <laughs> and you you went on to kind of apply these the mechanical engineering that you learned through school to make a pretty cool uh pit, right? <laughs> like you designed <laughs> yeah. a pretty cool thing. Yeah, which which pit you're talking about? You talking about this pit to cook a cow? <laughs> no, but talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know about that now. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I, let me ask this question first. How many times have you heard of anybody cooking cows in this country? A uh, whole cow. Whole cow. Zero times. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I had this crazy. Well, not, it wasn't really crazy idea. Um, all to the side, it wasn't crazy, but a lot of history books. When I start researching barbecue, and they talk about how I cook barbecue. They start saying they start having these ref- references to cooking whole cows, oh my but nobody in my community cook whole cows. And I have seen, and I talked to my father about cooking cows. Like, no, I ain't never heard of that. You're talking some craziness. But I had to show him in a, I had to show him in an article or some books. Like they cook cows, cows too. My wife from Wisconsin, she said, you need to cook a cow. So I cooked the cow. So I had to design and engineer a pit to, to handle this massive, I guess, beast. So I could cook them because once I once you start the cooking process with a cow, you can't really touch them, and it's not like flipping a pig. Uh huh. So we for like six months of my life, four months of my life, I start designing and building a pit. When I came with the concept of saying I'm gonna cook a cow, then I knew I had to start building something to better handle this. And I put like about four months of design time off and on to going to coming up with a concept to cook this cow. And do all my bases, all my checks. Then for two months, we started building, and I can't take credit for building the pit. My father built the pit, but I went to South Carolina twice back to the shop <laughs> to do some building and do some checkouts and verifications that we was gonna be able to flip and rotate this cow during the cooking. So that was pretty <laughs> unique pit. If you that's where I would say rocket scientists collided with being a pit master. If people want to say where cooking collide, where Howard Conyers cooking collide with that, I would say cooking the cow without any instrumentation, without any, I didn't use any thermometers, and that's where the engineering overlap. That was the intersection, and I can't say that I was impressed. I was impressed with how it came out. 
my goodness. What was it? Was it delicious? Was it? Was it a every every bit as juicy and wonderful as as a as a whole whole hog? It was better. The history book said it like this, and this was I'm gonna give your give you the opportunity to kind of see if you can imagine this. The history book says this was the best barbecue you could have. But imagine taking for my beef lovers, not my vegans, meeting all your favorite cuts of steak in one or two bites. Oh. <laughs> Annie and I just both went to a place. <laughs> oh. Huh. All right. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I would describe it. All your cuts of beef, your favorite cuts of steak in one or two bites. Whew. Was that like a one and done thing? Will you ever do that? Will you ever cook a whole cow again? <laughs> I don't know. It may be it. I don't know. It, that was, I mean, I had the capability now, which is always a plus. And you but sound like a superhero. To... I have the capability. <laughs> I, I have the capability, but I don't know. Do I have to? The, the inch? I mean, like I would do it when it makes sense, but I think it's not something you do every day. Um, I would agree with that. <laughs> I think it's wise, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot, but it was a very unique experience I did with it. Um, but like I, for me, I have at this point, I have cooked every animal raised in the American South on a farm. Just domesticated, I cook a turkey, pig, lamb, goat, and a cow whole. And I have cooked in the pits above ground as well as below ground. I don't know what more I can do at that moment. <laughs> I suspect you'll think of something. Unless <laughs> <laughs> somebody invite me to Dubai and say they want me to cook a whole camel or something, or or, or Australian cook a kangaroo or something, something different. But mm. stateside, I don't. But you, the reason I say that, you laughing, but when you go into other cultures, other cultures eat what they have available. Oh, sure. And so, if I I wouldn't want to cook something that they wouldn't eat, I'd rather cook something that I think they will eat, but maybe put a South Carolina barbecue perspective to it, oh. so they can get a so they get a taste of what they're planning to get, but with a food that means something to them culturally. Right, of course, yeah. Um, do uh do NASA folks like to cook? They do. Um, I I don't know how much. I mean, everybody like to cook. Everybody like to eat. So I mean, everybody likes to cook. Do y'all ever have like office potlucks? Yeah, I don't. Sometimes I don't really cook that much of potlucks. <laughs> sad to say. Oh. I just be. I'm lazy. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I cook a few. I mean, I cook a few things. I like to cook well, and I mean, I really like bacon. People don't really notice, but I really love bacon. Bacon's I'm the wonderful. guy who has a bunch of KitchenAid parts and <laughs> equipment because I like cook bacon. And that was something I did with my mom. And so uh, that's something I really enjoy doing. I just don't do it a lot. People don't, they want me to cook animals. I'm just like, y'all missing out on my bacon. <laughs> it is. That's, it, it's it's a great physics and chemistry experiment every time, every time you make a cake or something. That's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my mom used to, we couldn't run through the house when my mom was baking cakes when growing up. She's like, oh, the cake gonna fall. Cause we didn't use box mix. So, uh, you made everything from scratch, and she like don't run through the house, especially my grandmother. Oh, and she was a perfectionist. She her cake, every cake that she ever served had to be perfect. If it wasn't perfect, 
you had to go to the trash can. Oh. They went to the trash. I, I mean, and the cake would taste fantastic, but if it didn't look the par, it went straight to the trash can. Wow. Oh, that is the opposite of what I am. I'm I'm not the make it pretty <laughs> baker, but I but I love I love doing it. I'm like, look, it's gonna taste good. <laughs> yeah, no, she wanted to look, she wanted to taste good, but she wanted to look good. If it don't I, and so I think I kind of take that approach sometimes to my hogs. Like I, when, I, when I cook animals or I cook any, like I want my barbecue to be almost perfect. I want it to look like it's supposed to look every time. Even if I can't control it. So I go back and study cooks that I have done in the past to kind of reflect what I did wrong. What can I do better? What was the conditions that in, impacted my cooking process? I think I'm a little, maybe a little anal about the process but hey that's what you get when you get a rocket scientist who cooks barbecue <laughs> do you still um how often a year do you get to do whole hog so last year well i only cooked one whole hog this year i only cooked twice this year i did, did a vinnie charleston with bj dennis and i cooked a lamb and a hog and a pig it wasn't even a hog it was a little pig it was also island pig um, we did an event with BJ Dennis in Charleston, and then I cooked the cow in New Orleans, and I, I haven't cooked any. That was all I cooked this year. Hmm. Go figure, right? I think <laughs> Nourish, I think Nourish got in her way of it, actually. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> that makes sense. We understand that one, yeah. Um, but no, that's all I cooked this past year, uh, and it may it may be the same type thing in future years. It may it may be ebbs and flows. And I just kind of go as how the university says I need to go with it. Yeah. Um, you you kind of touched on earlier that uh, you're involved in the slow food movement and sort of um, healthier, fresher ingredients. Uh, focus on that. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm a like even before meeting the slow foods, like the mission of slow foods, good, clean, fair. Uh, like I, it resonated to my whole upbringing of like I used to run the garden on the farm, so I was very accustomed to eating fresh and seasonal ingredients. Um, and I think there's value, there's immense value to that because you limit how much preservatives, how much hormones is in your food. So like I'm a I'm an advocate for it and getting involved with the slow food movement. It's something like the mission, I believe, is there. Uh, the intent is there. I mean, hopefully, what I hope in this whole slow food movement or in like eating better quality foods, it becomes more, um, how I would say it, not only equitable, but I guess like racially. Like when I go to the farmer's markets in general or various places, like you don't really see I don't really get to see a whole lot of African-Americans buying stuff at the farmer's market. It looks like it's very one-sided. And I know it's an income thing, but I would love to see it more inclusive. Yeah. Uh, that's what I want. I mean, because I know it, there's benefits to it. But I know I know it's a, it's a very much economic driver because buying an organic tomato is a lot more than a non-organic tomato. But the flavor is two totally different experiences. We are not quite done with our interview with Dr. Conyers, but we're going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free... we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And back to the interview. One thing that you you mentioned earlier that um, is really important to us on this show is sort of um, expounding what the South means. Because like you said, people do have this sort of outside of the South and sometimes even in the South, (laughs) one idea of what Southern food is. And it's so much more than that. And I read um, one of your hopes with, with being on Nourish is um, showing what makes the South special and unique. And and in your mind, what is that? What makes the South unique and special? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, for me, like, the South has a... Even though, no matter how divided the South was... In terms of food, like people will cross over. Things could be very uh, racist or segregation wise, but like you will find instances 
where if pe- food would bring people together. I think that's something I think is unique about the South. Well, food brings people together everywhere, but the South with its dark history of slavery, food has a it has the ability to bring people together to have a conversation. And hopefully those conversations will help to make the South better, make it more one unit, um, make, help people understand people's differences is also their, their similarities. Um, I think the South is, I don't know. I mean, no matter what is bad about the South, in some people mind, I, I love it. I love the good and bad of the South. It's, it's one of those things that's really hard to describe, though. And and I guess you would say, like, the rural... I, I grew up in a rural area, and the rural area is a lot different from the city area. And I I, I love both. <laughs> Do you get to go back home often? I try to. I try to go home... Well, I try to go home for about four times a year. I went home four times this past year, and I think I saw my parents probably six or seven times. So, because they came out here, so that's I go home because my family is there, and no matter where I go in life, like family is important. And I think that's one of the things I learned about growing up in the South. Like family is is everything. Do you have um, any any projects coming up? Any anything? food-wise or rocket science-wise that you're excited about? Um, Actually, I'm excited. I mean, I haven't really talked a lot about it publicly, but um, I wanted... So there, I did an episode on grits for Nourish, but I want to... I have a grits mill, and I want to take this grits mill and bring it back into operation so people in my community can see what the grits mill meant, especially to... I will say to the black, I mean, to me, I want to hear the black families talk about how they survived with using the grits mill, the, the significance of it to the community, how they shared and worked together. And so I'm working on trying to bring a grits mill back to life that I have, a Stonebird grits mill, because I think there's so many stories in, in history to be documented behind that. And I think those are where my next projects really lies, is taking more, taking time to really document and preserve those stories from experts. Because people may say Howard Kynes is an expert, but the people who are really experts in my mind are the people like my father, my mother, my aunts and uncles who truly live this, this thing we guard, we treat so special. I'm just a, I guess I'm just a mouthpiece and I'm kind of an ambassador and uh, I'm a cheerleader and I carry it for it. I'm a guardian keeper, but, um, I want to take the time to really preserve the experts' opinions and knowledge base and people in my community. That's that's important. And we have the technology to do it. So that's that's kind of what I'm working on. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. Um is a is New Orleans home now or do you still think of the Carolinas? <laughs> Carolinas will always be home, but I am, I am, I mean, I'm slowly realizing I'm in New Orleans. I mean, like I, I love South Carolina and I, I would never, I can never take that for granted. I mean, it has a special place in my heart, but New Orleans has, a, it has, it's starting to get 
they won't say it will be equal, but it's it's definitely rising for me because the things I see in New Orleans, I can't see any place else in the country. And the food experiences I've been able been a part of, I don't think I've been able to do that anywhere else in the country. Whether even if it was in a place like New York, New Orleans have something special. Louisiana has something special. I think people, I mean, people get caught up on New Orleans, but I think people need to also look at like areas like Opelousas. And there's so much fascinating culture in areas like Opelousas or Eunice, Louisiana. There are small towns, but I think people are missing the boat. They always focus on New Orleans. We, we were, you were talking earlier about, about equity and, um, you know, getting getting poor segments and uh, black segments of the community more of an opportunity to enjoy these foods that cost a little bit more um, or that, you know, not everyone has access to due to uh, uh, transportation issues, things like that. Um, could you speak a little bit about, about what you think New Orleans could do better? Um, I think there's an education that needs to occur in that whole space. It's not I think it's an education. You have to educate people on why this food is better, because we will spend we people will spend money on whatever they seem valuable if they have it. But I think there's a lack of education. The why it's better, and so that may be an opportunity to do it better. Um, I think um, sometimes the access to it, the location of it is New Orleans is not a big place, but I can't expect a family who who's struggling with transportation. To, they better only come to the farmer's market for a few things and they can't get everything they need on their grocery list. That's kind of tough. Yeah. So th- those are kind of my thoughts on it. Is there anything that we we haven't asked you or that you would like to talk about before we before we wrap up here? Um, I just like if people ever want to get in contact with me, I mean, I have a website, uh, howardconyers.com. I do come speak. Um, I do, I do go speak and share my knowledge of food, science, engineering to different audiences, because I think it's important to like, people don't notice about me. I I really want to help inspire the next generation that they could do anything they want to do. And I have a, I love, I want to make sure people from not only urban areas have inspiration, but I want people from rural areas that have inspiration. And if they could see it through my work, that's even better. And so I offer myself up to society of like, to try to, I try to give back where I can, where it makes sense. That's, that's great. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. No, no, that's no problem. I'll, oh, yeah, I don't know if y'all knew I was I was one of the Southerners of the Year for this year. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I got named one of Southern Living Southerners of the Year. Aww. Thanks. Nice. <laughs> that, that's wonderful. Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> it might I just be that cow thing <laughs> put you over the edge. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm still thinking about the cow thing. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of crazy for that, <laughs> for that whole cow thing. But nah, I, I enjoyed it. It was it was a pleasure to cook the whole cow. It was a pleasure to do this podcast interview. And I thank you all for taking time to want to talk to Howard Conyers. I mean, oh, it was a delight. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. <laughs>
And back to the present. Oh, thank you. Thank you again so much to, to Howard. Um, and yes, again, if you if you want to learn more about his work or possibly get him to come on out and teach your, your classroom or organization or whatever about, about barbecue science, um, yeah, just go to howardconyers.com. That's H-O-W-A-R-D-C-O-N-Y-E-R-S.com. Uh, yeah. Oh. What a what a pleasure! It's, it's it's always so amazing to get to talk to other people who are just as nerdy about the the science bits as I am. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's our episode for today. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that thing. We are available in a number of ways. You can email us at hello at saverpod dot com, or you can find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at. SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.